This is WRAL News, your number one source for local news. Hello, I'm Deborah Morgan. Breaking news right off the top tonight. New cases in our area just reported, including an eight-week-old child. Mark Boyle is in the Live Center. Mark. Deborah, good evening. Let's start with Harnett County releasing new information here this evening. And they're reporting nine positive cases at the Harnett Woods Nursing Rehabilitation Center. Now, with that, you'd think perhaps it's the residents. It's not. Look right here. Currently, no residents have tested positive. The nine positive cases, according to the county health department, are staff members at that facility. Also new this evening at 7 o'clock, Robinson County releasing new information, quite a bit of details here. 33 new residents reporting uh, COVID-19 cases there. Within this cluster, the oldest person, 71 years old, the youngest person, this is unreal, eight weeks old, is uh, right now being treated with the coronavirus. So we'll monitor that for you as well. They also break down the possible means of getting the coronavirus. Of those that have reported, eight are from work, two from household contacts, 22 not listed so seriously are still uh, quite a bit of information to gather on this report here. Back to you. Interesting new information. Thank you, Mark. Preparing for an election during a global plan pandemic, our exclusive WRL News poll and what it means for our elected leaders still ahead. Tonight we have results and insight you will not see anywhere else. The other big local headlines today unfolded in the heart of downtown Raleigh. Arrests during the reopened North Carolina protest. Sky 5 brought you these images live throughout the afternoon. On the ground, our cameras captured police arresting the organizer of the group. And a block away, a start to the short session unlike anything we've ever seen. With lawmakers wearing masks, pledging to bring more relief to the state's economy. WRL's Brian Mims was one of the many WRL crews on the streets of downtown Raleigh today. The protesters assembled here along Jones Street, made their way to the legislative building, and ended up at the executive mansion. That's where four of the demonstrators were arrested. They carried signs proclaiming scamdemic and set our people free. They waved flags and raised their voices as a small group of health care workers staged a counter-protest across the street, holding signs saying, stay home. The reopened North Carolina demonstrators often hurled angry words at the media. This is what happens to America, fake news like this. Among those protesting was Lisa Todd, who would be one of four arrested outside the governor's residence. She told me the governor's stay-at-home order is destroying jobs and businesses. Have you been to the stores lately? We were at Target yesterday. The stores are packed. People want to get out. Another protester arrested was Ashley Smith, one of the lead organizers. She was among four people who defied orders by Capitol Police to stay off the sidewalk in front of the executive mansion. More than a dozen counter-protesters showed up, including Carrie Shropshire, a medical school student. I think it's endangering us. I think it's endangering our hospital workers. I think it's endangering the immunocompromised. I think it's also endangering the healthy. It's endangering North Carolinians. But protester John Fincher says the state has flattened the curve. I mean, the hospitals were, are now starving for patients there because the flux of people didn't come. So, I mean, the numbers just don't back up the shutdown of this state. And despite the arrest, protest organizers say they are even more emboldened and they plan to continue these rallies every Tuesday until that executive order is lifted. Brian Mims, WREL News, Raleigh.
And while not addressing the protesters directly, the governor pointed to benchmarks the state needs to hit before easing restrictions. Here are some other statewide headlines today. Governor Cooper says the Coca-Cola 600 can go on next month in Charlotte without fans if health conditions do not get worse. Coronavirus outbreaks have been reported at 13 food processing plants in North Carolina, totaling 479 infections. And the president plans to sign an executive order to keep plants open across the country. Lawmakers wore masks and socially distanced for the start of a short session. Both the House and Senate met today with many members not there. Their priority is pandemic relief. They are holding remote committee meetings and some voting in the House. Lawmakers expect several relief efforts to come through in the next few weeks. Counties are finding new ways to quickly respond to coronavirus outbreaks at nursing homes. In Orange County, health and emergency services departments developed a public health strike team. WREL's Leslie Moreno shows us how they are focused on a quick response and ongoing support. What this team is doing is essentially taking the CDC guidelines and breaking them down. They're teaching these facilities how to apply those rules. And because the team is so diverse, they're able to provide a lot of help in just one visit. This photo captures a triple threat against the virus. Health experts, emergency responders and hospitals all working together to assess, educate and test mainly for high-risk facilities like nursing homes and group homes. I think to have a group like the strike team come and I think reinforce some of those some of those ideas, reinforce, hey, you know what, you're, what you're doing already right now in an effort to protect, you're doing a great job. This is really, and you know what, we could do more. The team works closely and they consider themselves a pivotal link. It's really overwhelming. I mean, when you're tasked with the care and the management of a facility that houses many different residents that have varying levels of um, comorbidities, medical needs and attention. When on a call, the team does its best to check rooming situations, safety protocols, and they make sure they follow up after every visit. On an average day, the team sees anywhere from four to 11 facilities. Working with the administrators of these of, of facilities and figuring out, okay, how much of this stuff are you using each day? Um, how can we work together to conserve you know, what you have and keep people safe? And while the strike team is still actively working with several facilities, their main concern right now is performing their wellness checks. Back to you. Our exclusive results from a WRL news poll released this week asked North Carolinians to rank how our elected leaders are performing and how those likely voters might cast their ballots in November. We start with Governor Roy Cooper. 24% of those people polled said they strongly approve of the job he is doing. 41% approve. 16% disapprove and 11% strongly disapprove. If the election were held today, 30% of the people polled said they would vote for Dan Forrest for governor. 47% said they would vote for Roy Cooper. Now for President Trump's rating of how those surveyed feel about the job he's doing overall. 27% strongly approve, 22% approve, 13% disapprove, and 36% strongly disapprove. And here's how a general election might look like. 45% of North Carolinians polled would vote for President Trump, 50% for Joe Biden, with 5% undecided. WRL conducted this survey alongside Survey USA. Today, David Crabtree spoke with their CEO about these results and what they mean on the national stage. 
Jay Levy, the CEO of SurveyUSA, is joining us now to talk about the results of this latest polling. What was the biggest surprise for you, Jay? Uh, governors across the country really are doing very well right now, for the most part because they are in a spotlight that they are unaccustomed to being in, and that is every day having to do with, with the virus. At the national level, the contest between the president and the challenger, and at the United States Senate level, the contest between the incumbent, Tillis, and the challenger, those are as tight as we would expect. But the sustained uh, advantage that the Democratic governor has right now is really a reflection of what is going on across the country as governors take the lead role in trying to decide when America gets back to being itself. You know, and we're watching that, and according to this poll, those numbers had Roy Cooper over his challenger, Dan Forrest, about two to one. Is that unusual, or is it just harder for uh, the challenger to get traction right now? What are they going to talk about? It is such a fascinating suspended animation, David. Really, if you're a challenger, it is hard to get to the front of the stage when the governor and, in the case of the president, the president, are seizing the microphone and basically have the bully pulpit at their disposal as much as they wish to take uh, advantage of that. If you're a challenger, whether you're trailing by two points or, in this case, by 20 points, it's very, very hard to muscle your way in without sounding antagonistic or oppositional and try and get a message coherently put forward. So right now, you've got Cooper benefiting from a tailwind that is really helping keep him in the spotlight. We don't know if that'll still be true in the fall. We don't know very much about the fall at all as we sit here and mm -hmm. talk at the end of April. But right now, the incumbent governor is doing very, very well. All right, the fall election is six months away. So when we look at, uh, let's look at the presidential race. Donald Trump carried this state by five points. He's trailing by five points in this state. What do you make of that at this time? So I would say the contest is very much a bellwether in North Carolina. You have two things happening. If you watch in November, and let's just assume the election happens as scheduled on the Tuesday, November 3rd, without any wrinkles and everybody's back to normal living at that point. If it's the case that Biden maintains this five-point advantage and he carries North Carolina and hypothetically that Tillis is unseated, then in the fall we'll be looking at a Democratic president and a democratically controlled Senate. On the other hand, the fall, as you point out, says six months is an eternity, especially in this world where basically all of America is holding its breath right now, waiting to be given permission to go back to its normal routines and its normal life. If in the fall we've got a situation where everyone is back and the virus seems like ancient history, then you may very well see Trump regain his footing in North Carolina, and in that case, it would benefit Tillis, and in that case, you may be looking at another four years of Trump and a re-election for Tillis and a Republican-controlled Senate. Jay, a couple more questions. The gender gap in North Carolina, huge in this poll, and the rural-urban divide remains pretty much the same of what we've seen for the past few elections. So you've got three streets that come together at one intersection in this data. One is, of course, the Old South and the New South, and that has to do with the rural and urban divide, right? Then you have men and women very much looking at 
events of the day in, through different prisms. And you also, David, have the factor of whites and blacks in North Carolina looking at things through different prisms. So if you want to understand what's happening, whether we're talking about the Senate contest, the governor's contest, or the president's contest, you are correct. You look at those three metrics. What do men think? What do women think? That's one thing where they disagree. They look at the exact same Donald Trump. They come to opposite conclusions. They look at the exact same Tillis. They come to opposite conclusions. Rural people who have the advantage of living more of an old South kind of a lifestyle compared to the urban people who are there as new settlers in North Carolina, more uh, potentially affluent, more potentially educated, look at the president and his challenger through different prisms. And of course, African-Americans continue to be overwhelmingly Democratic voters. And in North Carolina, white voters are uh, disproportionately Republican voters. So those three intersections give you a great look at what's going on at the top of the ticket in the fall. Jay, one last thing. Here today in Raleigh, another protest by the group Reopen NC, the same day the legislature comes in for its short session. People are entrenched in their beliefs on whether or not states should reopen at this time or to wait. This was borne out in what you saw. It's so easy for both sides to make straw man caricatures of the other side. Obviously, those people who want to stay healthy don't want everyone to be locked up in a house. That's nobody's idea of an ideal living condition. And those people who want to get back to work, they obviously don't want people to go get sick and have a uh, return to people being quarantined in North Carolina. Really, the middle ground is where everyone from both sides needs to focus, which is it should be possible for certain people in certain conditions to go back to work. It should be possible for those who either choose or who are at risk of getting sick to stay isolated to the degree that they wish to. I don't think people should be commandeered to force to be working in a close proximity with someone else if they're fearful or at risk of getting sick. And by the same token, those people who aggressively argue that the economy is being held hostage by the those over-concerned about the virus, they have to understand that there are reasonable positions that people can hold on both sides. Straw man caricatures. I like the way you put that. Jay Levy, good to talk with you again. Jay Levy is the CEO of Survey USA, and you can find all the details of that poll on WRAL.com. Well, it's a story you saw exclusively on WRL last night at 10 and 11. A pug from a Chapel Hill family is the first known dog to test positive. We are answering your questions with a veterinarian who is studying COVID-19 in pets. It was a big story, a dog with coronavirus. We're going to talk now about cases involving animals after that story you saw on WRL last night. America's first known case involving a dog in Chapel Hill. Joining us to discuss this is Dr. Scott Weiss, a veterinarian studying the coronavirus in animals. Dr. Weiss, thank you for joining us. Good evening. Uh, Dr. Weiss, the question you've probably heard a million times, how do pets get it and how can we keep them safe? Well, the simple thing is they get it from us. This is a human disease or almost solely a human disease and our pets get it from us touching them and coughing on them, sneezing on them, that close interaction, just the same way we spread it to people. And the way we protect our pets is the way we try to protect ourselves and our family members and other people, which is social distancing, keeping our animals away from groups of other people and other animals so that we keep our household together, which is all the people and all the animals together. What sort of symptoms might we look for in our animals to may perhaps see whether they have co uh, coronavirus? 
Well, we don't know very well. It hasn't been looked at very far. Dogs seem pretty resistant. So most dogs that get it probably won't have any signs. They'll get the infection, the virus is in them, but it doesn't cause disease, which is good for the dog. Um, doesn't help us figure out if they're infected or not. Cats are more susceptible and they get, you know, similar to a mild case in people, they'll cough and they'll sneeze and they'll feel a little run down, go off their food for a couple of days, but usually it's mild. You know, we haven't seen a lot of them, but the ones that have been reported today have been pretty mild. Beyond that, we know ferrets are susceptible. They can get diseases like cats and we don't know a lot about other species. Uh, last question for you, are animals tested the same way as humans? Same type of test, yeah, different testing system. So it's not going through the labs that are doing human testing. So we're not taking away human testing, but it's the same approach. And we're looking for the virus in samples from their nose or their mouth or from their intestinal tract. All right, Dr. Scott Weiss, it's gonna be tough for people to kind of social distance from their animals. You know how much we love our pets, but thank you for being with yeah, us. Yeah, social, yeah, thank you. All right, coming up, a big announcement for our restaurant relief fund. Your generous support for our local restaurants has brought in more than $750,000 for the North Carolina Restaurant Workers Relief Fund. Joining us now with some big news to share is President and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, Lynn Minges. Thank you so much for joining us, Lynn, and I'll let you do the honors. Thank you so much, Deborah, and to the entire team of WRL and to your listeners. Uh, we're very proud to make an announcement that through the generosity of corporations and individuals and local entrepreneurs and even students who are conducting bake sales across our state, we are proud to announce that uh, we have now reached the $950,000 mark. Um, that in large part was uh, due to a, a considerable contribution that we received today from Duke Energy Foundation um, that joins other corporate partners, including Blue Cross Blue Shield, Brooks Bell and Jesse Lipscomb, uh, Coastal Credit Union, um, Coastal Credit Union Federation, um, Truist, and uh, Bank of America, along with thousands of other individual donors who have contributed so generously to our North Carolina Restaurant Workers Relief Fund. So thank you all so much to your viewers and listeners and and to the entire WREL team together. We're making a real difference in the lives uh, of so many people. Just remarkable. So uh, Lynn, tell us how this money is being used. Well, we are making grants in the amount of $500 per applicant. And so we've received over 12,000 applications from displaced workers who are part of our North Carolina hospitality family. Um, these are folks who suddenly found themselves unemployed uh, when restaurants were shuttered around March 17th. Um, they have applied for these grants and they're being awarded based on need. Obviously there's just tremendous need of folks who are, who are struggling to, to make their monthly bills, to buy food for their families, to pay their rent. Um, and utility bills, and these dollars are making such a huge impact. Um, we are making these awards in the amount of $500 per applicant, and um, obviously we have much more need than we have money, and so we are eager to accept uh, continued donations from those who've been so generous. Well, and I, I know a lot work. of people, the very first thing they wanna do once the stay-at-home order is lifted is go to a restaurant and, and have somewhat of a normal meal. So it'll be good to see. Lynn Mendes, president and CEO of the North Carolina Restaurant and Lodging Association, thank you so much for joining us and continued good thank work. You. We know many of you wanna help your neighbors in need during this crisis, and we have a list of links, donation needs, and ways to help students while schools are closed. Visit WRL.com and search here to help for ways you can lend a hand. 
Strict policies at local hospitals prevent patients from being with their loved ones during difficult times. In today's update from UNC, in a video blog you will only see on WRAL, Dr. Gary Burke talks about how he and his colleagues help fill that void and how the hospital looks different on the inside and outside to help slow the spread. It's been a good night. Uh, things have gone smoothly. Um, we're working along with all our medicine and surgery colleagues to make this as smooth of a process as we can have. Um, and the other thing, though, that's kind of changed for us is just within the hospital uh, setting altogether. You know, the emergency department, as I said the other day, is seeing decreased volumes, but we're still seeing high acuity. And by high acuity, I mean we're seeing sick patients come to the emergency department. Um, you know, I just hope there's people that are not avoiding the emergency department that uh, need to seek our uh, uh, services. Um, and then the other big thing that's changed for us within the emergency department is we're seeing these sick patients come in. Um, and we've instituted a no visitor policy uh, just again for safety. We don't want uh, anyone to be exposed or be walking around and exposing others. But that can make it challenging because these patients are here, uh, you know, they're in one of the worst uh, times of their life because it's requiring them to go to the emergency department. And, you know, they don't have a loved one sitting with them at their bedside. Um, you know, we're doing our best to help them through this time. Wow. Well, we thank him for what he's doing, his service, and we thank him, Dr. Burke and UNC, for the access to what he's seeing. A yeah, very compelling look at what goes on behind the scenes. Later this week, we expect an update from Duke Regional Nurse Ashley Wheeler. You can look for it right here at 7 o'clock. And that does it for our news at 7 on WRAL. Our news next newscast is at 10 on Fox 50, and then we'll see you again at 11 right here on WRAL. Have a great night, everyone.